We're continuing in our series, The War, Life on the Front Lines. We're in week eight, I believe. Yeah, because there's one more. Pastor Mike will finish it off next week. Uh, So we're in the middle of this series. We've been talking about the war. We all know that there's a war going on around us every day, right? A spiritual battle going on, the battle of good and evil, the battle of light and darkness. And I'm here to tell you, you're involved whether you want to be or not, whether you like it or not, you are in this war every day. If you choose to be complacent and go, oh, no, I don't want to engage, well, then you're fighting on the wrong side. You're exactly where the devil wants you. Complacent, ignorant, backing off, doing nothing, right where he can start to work and draw you further and further away from God. That's right where he is. So we are all in the war. We all have a part to play, right? And we've talked about that, that we are all called to be full-time Christians, Right? but not all to be full-time pastors or missionaries, evangelists, or something like that. Pastor Mike compared it to civilians and soldiers. We are all to be patriots and and part of the United States of America. We're not all called to be going to action or to be in the military, right? And it's kind of the same way with the body of Christ. We are all Christians. Some are called to be full-time ministers, pastors, missionaries, things like that. But we all have a part to play. And talking about the part to play... Think about this this morning. What are you really good at? And what do you enjoy doing? I believe God put those things in you for a reason. And that might be your part to play, no matter what it is. You know, you never know. He's looking at me like, well, I like to fish. (laughs) Well, great. Take someone out fishing that you can build a relationship with, that needs to know about Christ. You know, I mean, God can use that. Whatever you like and whatever you enjoy, God gave you those enjoyments for a reason. Say, God, how can you use this for your glory and honor? Because he wants you to enjoy life here as well, too. So just think about that. I thought of it, man, that's a good idea. Think about what you're good at. God gave you that for a reason. So what are we fighting for? We talked about the two fronts that we're fighting on. Obviously, we're fighting for eternity. We're fighting to uh, bring as many people to heaven with us as possible. Let as many people know as possible that you can have a relation with your Creator, with your God. Uh, Jesus came and died for you to forgive your sins, to take care of all that. We want, we're fighting for eternity. And then there's the other front. Life now, today, here on earth. And uh, I like how Pastor Mike put it. He used to think, as many of us probably did or still do, that, well, it's one or the other. I'm going to give up all the good things here in this life. I'm going to sacrifice for the kingdom and fight for the kingdom and do all that so that the reward will be there. Or I'm going to deny that and live it up now and live a good life. It's one or the other. But it's not. As we've been going through this series, we're finding out God wants us to have abundant, blessed life here on earth, right? He wants both. Man, that's a good deal. I'll take it. It's all right. So we need to fight that fight as well because the devil comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. The devil's bad. God is good. God wants to bless us and have us have a good life here and a good life there. How do we figure that out? How do we fight that front? We learned about how we can uh, fight those battles. Pastor Mike started on the defensive side of things, the lies that we believe that the devil puts at us. How do we defend against that? Use the word of God to defend against that. The defensive things like the sword of, uh, or the shield of faith, He talked about how do we make that shield bigger so we're not just hiding behind this little paper plate or something. Uh, How do we build our faith and make that bigger? We talked about the helmet of salvation that protects us. Praise God for salvation. 
And then more of the offensive stuff, we need to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and use that, right? So we learn how to be offensive in it. We learn about all these techniques the devil uses against us and, and all of that. And, so, and then now he's gotten into more practical things, uh, which is part of what I'm talking about here as well, too. There are other parts of the war that need to be faced in our everyday lives. And um, today's topic is financing the war. So I get to talk to you about money. Uh, how many remember these posters? Buy bonds. If you're, there's probably an age limit. If you're below a certain age, you probably have no idea what these are unless you're a history buff or something. If you're above a certain age, you're probably going, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember hearing about those. In World War II, war is expensive, right? In World War II, it was getting to be a long, tough war, and the United States needed to finance the war. And so they got pretty creative and started selling U.S. war bonds so that you could invest in the war. Because, man, oh, man, they needed more tanks. They needed more trucks. They needed airplanes, bullets, bombs, missiles. They needed food for the troops, medical supplies. I mean, there's just so much involved in it. And so they got creative and started selling bonds. And, you know, it was a little more of a patriotic environment at that time, I think. And it was just expected. Every paycheck, part of that goes to buy U.S. bonds. Let's support our troops. Let's go. Uh, Nowadays, I'm not sure how well that would go over. But um, that was the deal. They sold bonds to support the war because war takes finances and takes support. Just imagine if we sent our troops out with no backing with no financing, with no supplies or equipment, no weapons. All they had was their hands. No food. They'd be tired. They'd be hungry. They wouldn't last long out on the, on the battlefield, would they? You know, they'd be out there, and these guys are shooting missiles and bombs, and tanks are coming at them, and they're like, what do we do? Well, I guess we try and sneak up on them and try and climb up on the tank, and I don't know if we can get it open. You know, I mean, well, it'd be disaster, wouldn't it? It'd be terrible. What do you think the chances of success would be Pretty close to zero, I think, if they weren't financed and didn't have the supplies they needed. Well, it's the same in our war. We need financing for that. We need to supply that uh, as well. If things are going to be good, because if we're not, well, then it's hard to be successful. But as usual, God has a plan for all this. And as usual, it's in the Bible. All we need to do is look. If you've heard me preach before, you know that we're going to read a lot of scriptures today. And the reason for that is I don't have all the answers, but I know where they are. So that's where we got to look, is in, in God's Word and see what he has to say about this. And that's cool, because even though I'm talking to you about money, you can't get mad at me, because I'm just telling you what the Bible says. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> so that's cool. So before we dig into this, let's pray one more time here and ask for God's wisdom and guidance today. Praise you, God. I just thank you so much for your word that you give us. That if we just look, if we just dig, it's all there, Lord. Uh, And I just pray today for guidance and wisdom, for clarity of thought, Lord Jesus, for for humble hearts to be open to your leading, because you want nothing but the best for us, God. Uh, And so I pray today that you would just speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we all know... Money can be a very sensitive subject in church, right? It can be really sensitive. People get all uptight. So how did I draw the short stick here? And now this, this weekend I'm preaching and about money. I get to be, I'm starting to figure out this associate pastor thing. I'm the bad guy. Right? Ah. 
No, that's not true at all, actually. Pastor Mike gave me a couple of choices, and this is what I chose because it's really, it's so important that we get this right. It's such a heart matter that we get this right and understand God's economy and, and how that works and how he wants that to work. So, actually, I brought this on myself, so it's my fault. So, but why do you think that is? Why is money such a sensitive subject in church? You know, people get all just wacky about it. It's like, oh, that preacher talking about money. All that church wants is my money. Well, I hope my goal today is that you go out of here not saying that, uh, that all we want is your money, because we don't. And, and let me tell you this, God does not need your money. He doesn't. He owns everything already. He doesn't need your money. So don't think that God and the church and all they want is your money. But we have to talk about it because it's a real part of life. He does want you to give. Why? Well, we'll look into that and we'll figure out why uh, as we go along here. Uh, but I think it, it's such a sensitive subject because, number one, it has the potential to be such a powerful, potent tool for the devil or for God. I really don't know of anything else that can take our focus off from God and put it on ourselves faster than the subject of money. It, it's, it's just powerful. And the devil knows that and he uses it. Just think, you can be focused on God, all of a sudden someone mentions money and you're going, that's my money. Boom, your focus is on yourself and not on God. I don't know of anything else that's a more powerful tool that the devil uses to get our focus off of God than money. That's why it's such a sensitive subject. So, wow, we got to be careful about that, don't we? It's a powerful thing. The other thing is it can, it can it's kind of like drugs. It can take you where you didn't want to go, where you didn't expect to go, if you let it. If you start letting that get into your heart and you don't have the focus, you haven't submitted your financial life to God, it can take you where you didn't want to go. You end up with greed, with covetousness, with jealousy, with all kinds of things that are just footholds for the devil that do all kinds of other things in your life as well. So it's pretty serious, so we need to take a look at it. Ever heard the phrase, money is the root of all evil? People say that. It's in the Bible. The Bible says money is the root of all evil. False. It doesn't say that in the Bible. And we'll look at that verse and see what it really says, first of all. But yeah, money's not the root of all evil. Money's not bad. God would like you to have some money. That's okay. It's, if you do, that's fine. That's great. Um, there's fear often attached with money as well. If you have money, you're afraid somebody's going to take it. You're going to lose what you got. If you don't, you're in fear of how am I going to make it? How am I going to get by? Fear is not of God. Fear is of the devil. Fear is another tool that's used to get you in the wrong place because when you're fearful, where is your focus? It's not on God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be fearful, right? So there's a lot of fear attachments. There's all these things attached to money that we better look at and we better deal with and make sure that our heart's in the right spot because we can get pulled away really fast. So I like how Pastor Mike said, by the way, he says it many times, money makes a great servant but a horrible master. So let's make sure we're on the right side of that. You know, if you're in the fear of your, your pursuit of money or you're in the fear that you don't have enough, it's, it's your master, and it's horrible. But if it's the other way around, if you know who your supplier is and who your God is and hey, your priorities are right, well, then all is good. So, well, all right, like I said, I don't have the answers, but I know where they are. So let's start digging into some scripture here and see where we're at. These first uh, scriptures in 1 Timothy 6 starts to deal with our employment, our career, because that's how we, most of us make our money, right? 
I think most of us haven't won the lottery, and we have jobs, and we need to earn money. So how is that supposed to work? We're going to read the first two verses here first, and we'll put this in modern-day terms. It's not master and slave anymore, but that's kind of how the dynamic was back then. So this is talking about employers or employees. So all of you who are under the yoke of slavery or unearned employer, so if you're an employee, should consider their masters or their employers worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters, so if you have a Christian employer, are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them ever better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. So, be a good employer. (laughs) Care about your employees. Take care of them. Be a good employee. Who should be the best employees in the workforce right now? Christians. He says that God's name and our teachings aren't slandered. Don't Well, because if you're being a bad example or a lazy employee or something like that or getting away with things you shouldn't, boy, what kind of an example? That's not drawing anyone to God. That's not being an example of what a Christian should be. We should be the best employees there are and not be caught up in whatever, all the junk at work, right? So be a, be a, be a stellar employee, be a stellar employer. And then it said, those who have Christian employers don't show them less respect because they're Christians. Why would that happen? Well, it's pretty easy, like, well, he's a Christian. He's my brother in Christ. I can get away with, he, you know, he's not going to fire me. I can get away with more. Don't do that. You should even more so want to work harder and help someone who's a Christian employer. Because, man, you're benefiting the kingdom of God. So, first of all, be a good employer, be a good employee. That's the, the first thing here. So then let's go and read through verses 3 through 5. So they ended... Verse 2 saying, these are the things you should teach. Be a good employer, be a good employee, do all this. If anyone teaches false doctrines, and some versions here say, if anyone teaches against these teachings that we just talked about, and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. Wow. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Well, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? It's pretty serious. How did it go from that that fast? Well, if you're not a good employee, employee, you're probably caught up in some gossip and complaining and whatever else. And boy, how many times have we all seen it in the workplace where it ends up that way? This one's talking about that, and this one's talking about that. And pretty soon that one's complaining to this guy, and you get into malicious talk and all of this stuff that they're talking about here. Don't do that. Just don't get involved in that. Uh, and then... It's uh, become men of a corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Godliness is not a means to financial gain. We're going to talk a lot today about how God wants to bless you. But keep in mind, it's all about your motivation and your attitude. If you're giving to be blessed, you think you're going to be blessed? God can't bless that. That's not the right motive to give. It's a nice side, side effect, though, many times, is that if you're obedient to God, you're going to be blessed. So don't think godliness is a means to financial gain. 
But God does want to bless you. So we'll talk about that more too. So let's read verses 6 through 10 and take a look a little bit deeper. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Look at that. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of, there it is, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So does it say money is the root of all evil? No, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All these things we started talking about already, as that's how it can get there. Previously it said, uh, if you have food, if you have clothing, be content with that. How many had food today? Or for you breakfast skippers, will have food today. <laughs> Looks like everyone has clothes on, so that's good. Happy about that. So we're good. We should be content, right? We're good for today. We've got everything we need. God is good. Let tomorrow worry about itself. Tomorrow's Monday, so you might have a lot of worries. But hey, tomorrow, today's Sunday. Monday's my day off, so I'm good. That's all right. But no, we should be content today with what we've got. We've got food. We've got clothing. God is good. He'll take care of us, right? And then don't fall into the love of money. We're going to, finish, we're going to continue. We're going to read verses 11 through 16 now and kind of see where, what should we do with all this now. But you, O oh man, flee from all of this. Flee from what? The love of money. And all this other stuff that comes with it. Just flee because you know it's taking you where you don't want to go. So if you start feeling that or getting that or that grip. Even if when I mentioned today that I was talking about money, you don't have to raise your hand. But I'll bet there's been a lot here that kind of went, flee from that. Because it's going to take you where you don't want to go. It's kind of like repenting. When you hear the good news, you need to repent. You need to run. And then do what? Pursue righteousness, godliness, Faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Kind of like the fruit of the Spirit, right? Let's keep going. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Get your focus in the right place. You were called to when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who, believe, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be the glory, the honor and might forever. Amen. So, Flee from these things. Run from it. Man, if you feel that in your heart, just run from it. It's taking you in a bad place and pursue God. Get your focus in the right place is what it's saying, right? So God's interested in our heart, in our attitude, in our motivation. Verses 17 through 19 says, Command those... Okay, so here's some more instruction. If you are a person of means, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, 
Not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Get your focus off of this stuff that just is fleeting anyway and doesn't last and get your focus on life that's truly life. That's how we can have the abundant life now and be working for the kingdom, right? That's pretty cool. So if you're blessed, here's what you should do. I'm sure you've heard before too, the Bible says over and over again, with much blessing comes much responsibility, right? Mm. So if you're blessed with much, man, much is expected. You're going to be held accountable for a lot more on Judgment Day. That's sobering, and that's a serious thing. So we better take this seriously. What are we doing? Is our heart right? Are we allowing God to use us in the right way with our finances? Lots of responsibility. So we can see that practicing these things, the avoiding the pitfalls and practicing all these good things, can really uh, put our focus on God. And I firmly believe that if we honestly give our financial life to God, I mean honestly and truly, give our financial life to God, let go, there are some things that can happen. It'll instantly help you conquer greed, covetousness, jealousy, anxiety in many areas, fear. There are so many things that if you let that go to God and fully trust Him with your finances, boom, you've conquered a whole bunch of tools of the enemy just like that. That's pretty cool. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty awesome. Here's the other thing that I've seen over and over happen when people submit their financial life to God. Suddenly, you can see financial opportunities that you couldn't see before. It's amazing. Yeah, lots of amens. A lot of people have experienced that. Isn't that something? God wants so much to bless us, but how can he if we haven't submitted our financial life to him? And I firmly believe that. You do that, you'll start to see financial opportunities and things that you haven't before. It's so cool. Because here's the deal. If God wants more money from you, what has to happen? Is he going to say, well, I know normally I ask for 10%, but Bart, I want 20% out of you. He's not going to do that, is he? It's 10%. Of course, now again, there's offerings and other things above and beyond our tithe that always come up that we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and give as, as led. And there's situations to help out. The orphanage in Jamaica, I'm sure many of you here in this room gave way above and beyond your tithes to help out with that. And we support missionaries. There's a lot of different things we can give to, but financing the war, the general finances is uh, laid out in the Bible, 10%. Give 10% of your income to God. And he's not going to up that to 15 or 20. So if he wants more money out of you, what has to happen? Your 90% has to go up, so his 10% can go up. Hey, that's all right. That's a good deal. I'll take that. That's okay. God wants to bless you, and if he wants more money out of you. So don't worry about that. God wants all your money because that's not true. He just asks for 10%, and there are reasons for that. He doesn't need your money, but there are reasons for that. We'll talk about that. Uh, So again, I want to be clear. God does not want to milk you dry. He wants to bless you. But your heart has to be in the right place first. You've got to be content with where you're at and with you got and everything like that. Okay. We're doing all right because we've got to do communion and everything too.
This is, I feel like I'm just skipping through a bunch of stuff because we are just touching the tip of the iceberg today. There is so much. This is such a huge, huge subject in the Bible and something that's a lot for us to grasp and get a hold of and really conquer. Uh, so I'm just hitting the tips of the iceberg here today and hitting a bunch of things. So hopefully it, hopefully it sinks in and works. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 8, and we're going to read the first seven verses and see what happens here. This is really cool. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians about what happened in the churches of Macedonia, and this amazes me. There's things in this chapter that um, I didn't pick up on the gravity of them until this week when I was studying this out. Uh, It's pretty amazing. He says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, I got there already, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's severe, one thing doesn't go with the other, you know, that kind of thing. This verse just amazed me. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Wow. So in severe trials, they had overflowing joy. They knew who their Savior was and where their source was, right? I want to be in that place. In severe tiles, I, I can be overflowing with joy. And in extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their own ability, entirely on their own. They urgently, ple- get this, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do so or do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had er earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. So this is amazing. The Macedonian churches were in severe trial and extreme poverty. And it doesn't say it specifically, but it really indicates that Paul probably told them, no, 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 you don't, you don't have to help out and give to our ministry to reach others. And they pleaded urgently with them, no, 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 no. They pleaded him for the privilege to be involved, and they wanted to give, even though they're in that situation. That's amazing. And if you go on and read later, God greatly blessed the churches of Macedonia. And you can see why. Uh, I, I think he couldn't help to. He's like, look at that. Look at, look at, look at my people are doing. That's really cool. So, boy, that's an example to us, isn't it? If we can find a place of contentment where in severe trials and extreme poverty, we can be overflowing with joy, then our focus is not on our situation, is not on our money, not on our focus is on our creator, our supplier, and uh, we know where our source is at, right? That's where I want to be. That's pretty neat. We'll skip down a few verses. We'll read 13 through 15 just to kind of, again, we're hitting the tip of the iceberg here, but this is a kind of a picture of how God's economy really works and what his plan really is. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who has gathered... He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. So what's that saying? It's saying, we don't want you to give and sacrifice just so somebody else can be well off. That's not the idea here. 
The idea is so that you can help them, and then someday they can help you. Now, in some ways, this in our current political and social climate, this seems like uh, socialism, doesn't it? Uh, and in a way it is, but not really. Socialism, no matter what it's intended to be, ends up being, hey, I don't have much, you have a lot. Give me some of that, right? just seems to be the way it is. Well, that's not right. But what this is saying is, no, we're looking for equality. We want to help you so that we know God's going to raise you up, and then someday you can help us because we're going to be in need, and, and that's God's description of the church, isn't it? Let's be a community. Let's help each other out. We're all on the same side here. Let's not be greedy, but be generous and help each other out because someday I'm going to need it too, and then you can help me out. Uh, so that's kind of the thing that he has set up here. So, All right, we need to keep going here. Go to the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 9, and we're going to read verses 6 through 9, just another brief thing on this. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So how should we give? God loves a cheerful giver. And I think I even today I did, but a lot of times when we pray about the offering, we say that, man, we don't want anyone to give out a, obligation or compulsion or feel like you have to. If that's the way you feel when the offering plate comes by, don't give. Just don't do it. Because you're giving for the wrong reason and you're harming yourself. Like I said, God doesn't need your money. He's after your heart. And he doesn't want you to give out of compulsion. If the offering plate goes by and you go, oh, there goes my money. Don't give. Because it's not going to help anyone. It's not going to bless you. It's, it's, it's not the way God wants it anyway. God loves a cheerful giver. We need to be giving because we love God. We love others and want to do our part, right? So if that's you, well, check your heart. There are other issues that need to be dealt with uh, before you're really in, a, in the place to really tithe and, and give offerings with the heart that God wants from us. Uh, And then we'll read verses 10 and 11 here as well. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So this is Paul talking to the Corinthians um, saying that he, who, who is the supplier? He's the supplier. So he's the one who's going to supply. He's the one who's going to increase. He's going to increase your storehouse and fill it up. So he's saying if you give, God wants to bless. And that's so that you can give more and the kingdom will be, will be reached more efficiently. So, God wants more money from you. He needs to increase your income. Praise God. I'll take that. God loves you. He wants to bless you abundantly. He doesn't want to take all of your money. We've got that so far, right? We're doing okay? All right. Sounds good. We're going to take a couple 
a couple more looks at Scripture, some different things here. So if God wants to bless us, how do we handle, how do we look at people who are blessed and not have jealousy and not worry about that? And how does God look at somebody who's rich? Sometimes in, in Christian circles, it's like, I don't know, there's a stigma attached to that, and it's like, oh, that person has a lot of money, and it's like he should be given more or whatever. It's easy to get judgmental that way, which we can't do. You don't know what they're actually doing with their finances anyway. Uh, so don't even worry about it. It's none of your business. It's between them and God, right? But let's see how Jesus handled this. In Luke chapter 7, uh, this is, chapter 6 was where the Beatitudes were, the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said, blessed are they that do this, blessed are the meek. He talked about uh, how we should treat each other, don't judge each other, and things like that in chapter 6. And then now, this is what happens after that. Uh, so we'll read the first five verses. When Jesus had finished saying all of this, In the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves you to do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So, So get the picture here. A centurion in that day was like a general in the army, a commander in the army. And we know this was a man of means because look at that. He built our synagogue. He was obviously, that's like somebody donating all the money for our church building edition or something like that. Someone with means. So this was a powerful man, a man with authority. He was a centurion and a wealthy man, obviously. So how does Jesus handle that? How does he treat somebody like that? We'll read... uh, all the way through verse 10 now and see how Jesus handled that. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turned to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So what did Jesus have to say about this man's wealth and authority and power and everything? Nothing. It didn't matter to him. These things don't matter. It's, it's, it's about our heart. Here's what he said. Man, he's a humble man. He's a devout, God-fearing man. He, look, at, look at his generosity. He cared about his servant so much that he's trying to get him healed and taken care of and doing all this. And he had great faith. He understood authority and, and rank. And, and he said, hey, you're a man of authority. And look at how humble he was. I don't even, I'm not even worthy of having you under my roof. That's why I sent my servants to talk to you, because he recognized, this is a man of power and authority, but he recognized that he's here, God's here. And that touched God's heart. He said, wow, this is a man of faith, a man that's humble. So that's what he's after. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of money or no money. That's what God's after, a humble, contrite heart that loves God. So there it is. We'll take a look at one more here in Acts 10. Oh, I need to hurry. 
Acts 10, we're going to read 1 through 6. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion as well, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. There it is. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. This is when the gospel was first brought to the Gentiles. This is a big deal. And this is who God chose to use to do that. Did he choose him because of his wealth? His power, his authority? No. He said he was a devout, God-fearing man. Your prayers, and he, and he prayed to God daily. And he said, your prayers and your generous gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial to heaven. That's what touches God's heart. It's all about our heart, our love for God, our love for his people. He loves people so much, and he wants us to have that same heart. So it's not about the finances. It's not about anything like that. It's about our heart. It's about our motivation is what it really comes down to. And again, we just touched the tip of the iceberg here, but uh, this could probably be a whole sermon series and dig into each one of these things a whole lot more and, and learn how to deal with these things within our own hearts. Uh, but we got that far. We good? All right. We are going to take communion today. So if the people who are serving communion can come down, and then the prayer teams as well, come on down and get set up. We're going to have prayer teams up here at the end of the service uh, if you'd like to be prayed for. Uh, you know, maybe this is really neat, I think, that we're taking communion today. I started thinking about it because you know what? If we really understand what God did for us, that Jesus left heaven came down, lived a life here, was tortured and killed for us. And when we think about all he did, it's pretty easy to surrender every part of your life, including your finances to God, isn't it? Pretty easy. Uh, And so we do this, we take communion, just like the Bible says, to remember what Jesus did for us, because it's a powerful thing. He gave us freedom from sin, freedom from uh, condemnation. It's our ticket to go to heaven and be with him. Praise God. It's pretty neat. One more thing on, on the financial, financing the war. I want to say this. One of the least talked about, thank you, one of the least talked about and yet an extremely important role in the kingdom and in the war is the successful business person, tither, supporting the Lord. That's a real calling. And I want you to understand that. Don't feel bad if you're a successful person or maybe you have financial talents, ways to make money. Praise God. Like I said earlier, what you're good at, God can use. And that's a wonderful thing. A lot of people think, boy, I shouldn't be pursuing this money. I need to sell my house and move to Africa and be a missionary or something like that. Well, maybe if that's what God calls you to do, but it's pretty rare that that happens. Where would we be without faithful tithers like you. How could we finance the war? How could we make that happen? And so it's really important that our heart is in the right place. And don't feel bad about being a successful business person tither. Praise God for that blessing. And that's how orphanages get built, kids get fed, 
building additions get built. That's how we send missionaries to hundreds of countries all around the world, reaching tens of thousands of unreached people and letting them know that you can have a relationship with your Creator. Wow! You have an important part to play in all of this. It's all of us together, so that's neat. So don't neglect that calling as well either, and don't be afraid of it. And know that it is a real, bona fide calling of God. Uh, So understand that. And keep your focus in the right place, right? Praise God. Well, I want to read out of... uh, out of 1 Corinthians, when Jesus at the Last Supper gave the very first communion to the disciples. And let's remember what this is about. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for what you did for us, that you died on the cross. And Lord, I pray today you'd help us to recognize the meaning, the significance of that, and how awesome it is, the gift that you've given us, Lord. And so we do this just in remembrance and in thankfulness for what you did for us. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. This represents the body of Christ. And the cup represents his blood that was shed for you. Praise you, God. Thank you, God, again for your word. Thank you for your love for us, for the roadmap you've laid out. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help us today to surrender all to you, to realize that you're a good God, you're a loving God. You want nothing but the best for us, Lord. So help us to see that and to see the ways that we can um, build our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that each one here would get to know you just a little bit better this week, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you. Come on up for prayer if you like prayer. Oh, hang on. I was just sitting here. I felt like um, God was just uh, putting it on my heart that there's somebody here that is really struggling with contentment with your finances, and he wanted to really encourage you today that he sees that, and he sees what you're walking through, and that um, you have an opportunity today with him to surrender everything to him, and as you surrender your finances to him, he's going to bring that contentment that you've had struggling inside of you. And so um, I just wanted to um, share that and encourage you today that he sees you and he loves you. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Nicole. Praise God. If that's for you, receive it.